Nerd Hurdles, the podcast that encourages you to dork in, nerd on, and geek out. I'm Jacob. And I'm Mandy. We talk about stuff that's too nerdy for people to like. Sometimes we drift off topic. You have to actually be on topic to drift off it. You make a good point. Nerd Hurdles. Hello and welcome to Crimes Against Food. I'm Gloria Lind. I'm Mia Steele. And joining us today is a very special guest. It's the first guest we've had on the show. It's Harriet Walsh, who also happens to be my mother. And uh, listens to, listeners to the definitive word may know her as the owner of some plum trees, which in the event of an apocalypse, we're going to raid. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Harriet. Hello. <laughs> um, the reason that we've got a couple of, we've got, a, got someone extra on today is we wanted to talk about uh, food security, which is... Uh, Something we kind of, we touched on in earlier episodes. Yeah, I say touched upon, I realised today I had a bit of a panic because I thought, well, we we, we mentioned it, but not intentionally. (laughs) It's one of those topics that you find yourself talking about without any clue where it's going. Yeah, and, and also it's not sort of knowing what... upon another topic that you might know nothing about, also, but yeah, and, and not really knowing anything about it, no. but kind of recognizing it's something that you know really, really should talk about. You I, know? I think uh-huh. it felt like it might be an intelligent thing to say at the time. Yeah, I know. Just to wrap things up. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd kind of like refer to it, yeah. not really realizing that. <laughs> really? Some... Uh, food security. We, yeah. we said nothing uh-huh. about spam today, so food security is it's, yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you may be sat there asking yourselves, mm-hmm. food security. What, what is this of which you speak? Yeah. <laughs> like we were an hour ago. <laughs> Before we what got is on food the internet. security? Okay, food security. <coughs> we're 72 hours from anarchy, according to the New Economics Foundation. And the way they um, came across this statistic is um, they talked to the supermarkets and the supermarkets told them that they have, at any given time, three days' supply of food in the supermarkets. Um, so... Obviously, if anything happens to the distribution network for the supermarkets, as in, say, a fuel strike, um, there would be no food in the supermarkets after three days. You see, this is this is what what, what I have to live with. With my, oh my, my, my mother kind of saying, "It's all going to, it's all going to, we're all doomed." Yeah. Grow some plum trees. This is a bit we're bleak, seventy-two isn't it? hours <laughs> from anarchy. I hope nobody's listening to this on, on, on a really bad come down or a hangover because you'll just want to open your wrist. <laughs> so, got three days. It might be time to start buying that cheap pasta. Yeah, but oh, you see, this is I find it really interesting because I, I I kind of I always you know when you see the queues when there are like mm. petrol shortages and everyone goes to the supermarket and starts buying cheap pasta and i have st- i have always thought oh you paranoid fools what yeah. is wrong with you it'll oh, be maybe fine they've been reading that same article yeah exactly <laughs> maybe maybe they're right maybe is it, a, is it a magazine called the truth this is for you <laughs> you this is something you should read <laughs> i mean i was when i was doing a bit of reading about it um you know my my <coughs> research wiki yeah. um i also noted that it's kind of food security is that you have access households have access to food enough that people don't go hungry and that you're not having to scavenge or beg or things like that so currently in the world there are people who live in a state of kind of a food emergency they d- they don't have food security 
because they have they don't actually have enough yeah, food. Yeah, because for you? us, you know, it's not going to happen. The, the supermarkets aren't going to run out of food in three days' time, are they? But yeah, as you say, for a lot of people, that that is a they reality. Don't have that security, and it's also a particularly urban. Well, in in the way that you describe it, it's a kind of urban mm. thing, yeah. which is about mm. how our food distribution and production networks have changed and how our living populations have changed. Because in the third world, even though a lot of people in the third world live in kind of food, well, food, I don't know, what's the opposite of food security? Food scarcity? emergency? Scarcity. Thank but, you, but, not emergency. Yeah, but it's, it's, isn't it kind of consistent scarcity? But at least even though it's a, a, a dripping effect of, of like the demand being met, it's, at least it will continue to be met through what they've got locally. Exactly, Whereas because they if, have access if, to agriculture. In a big city, so if it stops, it stops and we're all screwed. Yeah. Exactly. Dum, dum, yeah. Dum. Dum, dum, dum. Although it's not always true that people living in rural situations can count on having no. food constantly available. Well, no, I suppose you have harvests and no. then you have... And then if you have your harvest fails yeah. or if you have a flood Indeed. or a flam- famine, then you're screwed, aren't you? And you, you happen to live in but, you know, a whole row of mustard fields and people growing flax seed and things and <laughs> what what are you really going to do with that <laughs> yellow rope or for yeah. example there's a um, project in el salvador where um which supports um people who moved to the to a rural situation hoping to improve their lives from their urban situation yes and they started to try and grow food only to find that the land had been so degraded by industrial agriculture that it was completely lifeless and unable to support growing so these Poor people were having to barrow in soil, topsoil, no. by hand from oh elsewhere. Is there is there anything that says how long it takes the ground to recover after that kind of deluge? Well, I mean that is the good news that you can you can sort of restore sto- soil, but it does take time. Um, but that is that is one of the really critical things that needs to be addressed actually so in world farming is is the cha- is changing farming methods from yeah. industrial agriculture monoculture to um restore soil quality but isn't that one of the things like the growth in industrialized kind of mo- monoculture agriculture is the way that a kind of growing global population has been fed despite the kind of differences between uh people like more people are obese and more people go hungry but the kind of increase in production means that a growing population has been fed because we have fertilizer and stuff like that but then at the same time the fertilizer is turning the soil barren once you stop using that method it's kind of finite you can't you can't yes that i mean yeah i think you've just summed it up really well (laughs) don't say that we've got 40 minutes no it is it is not sustainable it can't be continued and um but you, I mean, how it's impossible. How do you stop such a massive machine? Yeah, unless everyone dies or something. Well, no, <laughs> well that's always an option. <laughs> Zombies. <That's it>. Oh. <laughs> and, and and the people who control the massive machine are not going to be the fir- the worst or the first affected by a long shot. Everybody else will practically die before them, and they'll still be there at the helm, won't they? Flicking the switches, mm. and we'll be. We, the norms of Yorkshire, will yeah. be kind of slowly peeking out after we plucked the last acidy plums from Harriet's trees. <laughs> <laughs> Made nothing with them but belly aches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't ready. <laughs> but I have to eat them. <laughs> I mean, it's, I suppose it's kind of going into those things of... So if we understand a little bit about kind of food security, why food security might be a good idea, um, and what not food security can mean then I suppose we're kind of starting to touch on like why does it happen 
which is you know the other thing so we've got we've got a, a mono a monoculture is it like a monorail no it's like a monoculture <laughs> By by monoculture, yes. do you mean specifically that it does o- it does only one thing? It's not complex. It's not. Yeah, well, it's quite specifically. It only grows one one species of stuff, like right. you know, vast acres of maize or um, and so, vast I mean, acres of something it's, else. Its very being is pointless it. without all the other monocultures surrounding it to 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 provide it with you know the supporting other this food stuff. Surely, back, otherwise, this... it's just maize. And what you know, what do you do with it? Who who else going to grow the the other oh, necessaries? Well, I think it's also about kind of complexity of the 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 surrounding wildlife. Am yeah, I yeah, it is. It's, yeah, about the food web. So, um, I mean, basically, industrial agriculture is a ruthless exploitation of a particular resource, which is the soil. Mm. And I mean, the soil's got lots of potential to support life. And you will have noticed that that's what we all depend on: is <laughs> stuff that's grown in soil, unless we've mastered the art of. Breatharianism. Yeah. Breatharians. <laughs> One big vote. <laughs> Take for breatharianism, yeah. So there's industrial agriculture busily stripping out all potential from the soil. And it will come to, you know, it does come to a point, just as in my example of the El Salvador people whose soil was so degraded that it could no longer support that's life. So um, well, that's where it's all heading, unless you do it different. So and there are other problems associated with industrial agriculture. Um, one of them is that the soil is now so degraded um, and the yeah, the sort of methods of farming as such that you can only produce those big volumes of food that you were talking about, Gloria. Um You can only produce them by using loads and loads of fertiliser. And this is where we have to talk about peak oil because fertilisers are petroleum-based. Without fertilisers in industrial agriculture, the outputs would be pretty minimal, basically. Mm-hmm. So you can see it's a, it's a problem on many levels. So and it actually fa- links with the kind of climate change and, and, and oil peak prices. Oil. Yeah. So peak oil means it makes the prices peak. Peak oil means that... It's not from peaking. No. <laughs> we're not peaking out at oil or anything like that. No. peak oil means that oil is a finite resource it's a naturally produced thing that Mm -hmm. sits in the ground whether it sits in big gushing oil wells or it's you know locked up in molecular form in oil shales Mm -hmm. but basically there's only so much of it there and in the last in you know post post the industrial revolution our consumption of oil has gone up in a practically vertical line we have now according to all all sort of scientific thought we've pretty much reached the point where there's now less of it than you know that that it's going to be we're going down down, we're going down the other side yeah that's what i'm trying to say don't you feel sometimes gloria that you've been totally robbed if we'd have been born in the 50s or the 60s, <laughs> I know. what a life we would have had. I know. We'd have been looking at retirement and squarely in the face and thinking another 10 years of, and, and then I'll be, I'll be on a cruise. And yeah. instead we're left with all this shit. I know, I know. It's the curse of our Sorry. generation. Yeah, oh, it is. God. But I mean, it's funny when you look at it, when you look at oil consumption on a timeline and you see, you know, it's really clear. It's a blip. It's a, it's a sort of little wonderful illusion that happened. Hmm. You know that we were suddenly yeah. we were suddenly able to do many many things and have the power of hundreds of people in a single you know sort of jar of oil. 
So this is going to be our, our and golden it's... age, never to be repeated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or it might well, be referred to, what do you know, the Iron Age, the Stone Age and the Oil Age? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Petroleum <laughs> Age? Well, you don't want to oh, be God. too depressed about it, because <laughs> obviously... <laughs> What do you mean? Not I'm sorry, oh, God. That was. This is the. This is First the bleak screaming news. fear, and now I just yeah. This is just, I feel really low. Oh. She's well, laughing. She's laughing. She's, she's, laughing. she's laughing. She's like, I'll go before you. Plum <laughs> tree. <laughs> yes. Currently, on average, um, it requires three to five calories of energy to produce one calorie is worth of edible food is this in a kind of industrial model yes like, this is in your industrial yeah, yeah. model so you can see that's a bit mad really yes it is that you are you know if you think of energy as a resource that you're putting more energy into the production of food than you're getting out and i mean that's on average if you put transport into the equation it's something like Ouch. eight it's something like eight calories Calorie. to produce one calorie of food and obviously different foodstuffs have different energy requirements so for example um uh beef 35 calories of energy input to produce one calorie energy output yeah god yeah so so if you start thinking about it in those terms what you start to think about is well we have to sort of change the way we do it then Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know we're going to run out of oil we are going to run out of oil who knows Next week, someone might announce that they've found some other fantastic way of producing energy that will mean, we, you know, you can have the new golden age, which will knock our golden age into, you know... Atomic power tractors? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Nuclear tractors? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all those sort of things. But, But we don't know that. So, basically, I kind of think it's a good idea to do it anyway. You to know, do. is to look at to, to look at how to do it different anyway yeah. because you don't we don't really know what's no. going to happen. No, no, you don't know, and you don't know what what whatever happens next is going to be necessarily an improvement, do you? I mean, it's not as if we learn awfully well anyway as a species. So maybe, yeah. maybe it's time to just kind of start telling you this is it. This is the absolute maximum we're ever going to have to use in terms, yeah, of, in, so. in, in terms of resources and start budgeting. Budgeting. Come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> and oh how can God. we do that and how can we do that so it looks like less of descent yeah. into hell I mean, is it, I, I'm going to start invitation living on to you know, a party I'm going to start living on this big ball of panic that's it <laughs> there must be tons of energy but the thing is I mean this this raises the question for me that you know the way that I understand how we you know we feed nine million however million billion people live on the planet is quite a lot of I mean there is a great there's a great disparity between you know how much some countries consume Mm -hmm. and how much other countries consume but you know in terms of if we continue with this this number of people on the planet oh would we if we do not have the resources for uh industrialized agriculture is there any way that you can feed that number of people in well, a different yes, system. I'm glad to say that there is. Oh, it's all right, there's hope, people. Now, it's okay, oh. step away from the suicide booth. There is, there is hope for us all. Beams of light shine upon me. <laughs> Go on. So, for example, yeah. um, last year there was a very nice programme broadcast on BBC, which was called Farm for the Future. And um, this is where they looked at um, different ways of using the land and found that 
by doing it differently and by not depending on petroleum-based fertilisers, they could increase the yield from per acre by about, I think it went up from, I think it went up about somewhere between 8 and 14 times. I can't actually remember the... That's huge. So they increase oh, the yield by, 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 by not it, sticking to the received I thought, wisdom. Yeah, I, thought, I thought you were going to say something like maybe 15, 20%, but 8 to no. 14 times is enormous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... It, so hang on. So if you can do that, why are we? Why is everyone not doing that? Well, does it cost probably, more to do? No, no. <laughs> well, it's probably because we've we haven't needed to. Yeah, that's what it Fair is. Enough, yeah. But now we're starting to look at. People are starting to look at. Um, you know, what is the bio capacity of this piece of land? Because in fact, growing those monocultures using petroleum-based fertilisers is actually incredibly inefficient and a bit, it's a bit mindless, really. But it's the model that exists. Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's the, only, it's, it's the only reason we do it is because we've sort of got used to mm. it. And because it did work very well for a short time in periods of, you know, when, when um, fossil fuels were widely available and the soil hadn't degraded yet. Yeah. yeah. But, it, you know... What's and, fascinating, I mean, I kind of... I'm, I'm being educated. This is amazing. And, you know, first she takes you down the dark path and then into the light and everything's nice again. But, um, but, but I suppose it's only nice if, if it's a consistent effort by a lot of people, by a lot, a lot of people. And I was just thinking when, when you were saying some of that, some of those things saying that, um, are, are we listening? Is, it, is, is your living room, Gloria, going to be the birthplace of the, the buzzwords for 2010? Well, you know, I hope so. Is the next packaging kind of, you know, bent instead of it going to be kind of organically grown? Is it going to be bio-capable farm? produced you know because actually that, that capable li- farms yeah. because that links into what I was going to ask about which is it makes me think about well if you if you change the manner of food production in that way I mean the major buyers of monoculture I'm assuming are supermarkets which is how a lot of people in this country get their food mm. so I'm assuming that that kind of change in the way that crops were available and what have you would also have to change the way we consumed food yeah, as well. I think that's right. Yeah, that, you know that you you wouldn't have be able to have that scale and wastage of food either, would you? Because and also the the supermarkets would have to buy yeah. in a different way, surely, because you wouldn't be able to kind of do scale. Oh no, you can still do scale, but I, mean, I think <clears throat> no, you can still do scale, but you just you just sort of um, plant and cultivate differently. Yeah, all oh, right. Okay. Is well, when you when you talk about the farm of the future thing. Was there a particular lesson, I mean, beyond kind of changing how, how they're actually farming, was there something that they said, oh, we're not going to farm meat, it's going to be a vegetarian enterprise, you know, because it, I mean, I've heard a lot about people saying it's incredibly inefficient to raise animals. Well, they take a lot of energy. A lot of energy, you just said yourself, 35 calories for one calorie back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Is that well, s- I, f- I would say it's probably that we might eat less meat. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's only I mean, in the past, which, which is only reasonable, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's only what we should be doing anyway. In the past, it's only in the past mm. kind of 20 years that everyone has eaten meat, you know, every As a day. staple instead of a luxury. Yeah, mm. you know, it, it wasn't always mm. available. You, you might have one kind of meat meal a week and that would kind of eke out into other things yeah. as well. And that's actually had a, an impact on, in, in as other countries become affluent um their consumption of meat has gone up in in i think in countries like china yeah. no not china i think then in india the country yeah. the consumption of meat has gone up from mm. what used to be predominantly vegetarian, vegetarian. Culture, yeah, mm. so and that's had an impact on 
the demands on meat farming as well, which of course has an impact on resources and energy yeah, and land, land available use. to grow food to feed populations. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure that things. I'm quite sure that things will have to change. I mean, but they. Like in the 50s in the UK, people used to spend 35% of their household budget on food. And I think the last statistic I heard was people spent 15% of their household budget on food. So we might have to return to a time when we value food more, you know, and we, we, you know, we put more of our sort of household resources into either producing or purchasing food. Absolutely. I mean, those numbers must be skewed by the fact that the earning potential for a great many people is increased now due to the higher education. I don't know if they were. I don't know if they were sort of um, adjusted a, figures a or not, but right. I, su- I suspect they were. Proportionate. But I mean, I, I'm thinking my own outgoings, my own incomings. Sort of food. I spend less on food a month than I do rent. Oh yeah, mm. hell yeah, by far. Yeah, um, and, and that's not just because I'm a tightwad. <laughs> um, and I and I go to the grocers and I actually stand and consider exactly how many peppers will I need because oh these are there's expensive blighters aren't they these big red bulbous things there are some things I don't eat because I'm unwilling yeah. to spend the money on chuntering to myself yeah. about about the price of of courgettes and that's not a season and asparagus from wherever and Portuguese vegetables this hour it's an outrage and I'm not paying two pounds for that but um but I don't spend a lot on food. But I don't. I don't think I eat crap food. But maybe that's because I eat a mostly vegetarian diet. I'm, I'm, I'm already there most of the time, I, and I'm, I'm really suspicious of cheap meats. Uh, ever yeah. since, ever, obviously, we've done a few kind of exploratory sessions <laughs> where we've eaten really bad stuff. Yeah, and goblin, now, goblin pies. Oh god, I just cringe. I, I, I was walking past Shove the other day, and there was. It was like a scene from a, a futuristic seventies film, you know. And they're guessing like that everyone's gonna be wearing Buck Roger boots, <laughs> and obviously we're not. But um, and it's yeah. the year two thousand ten, and we're not floating around the house. But and there were just rows upon rows upon rows of this. I mean, an unknown, unknown brand name, and of course I'm quite brand conscious, and there's no trust there for me. Me, this company, this mysterious company, who's just started producing chicken curry in a can. And and even even, like, even, even the picture on the front, yeah. But even the picture on the front, it wasn't like shredded bits. It was cubes. It looked more like kind oh, of soya or something. <laughs> it was the new square chickens. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. The breast. The, the breast automatically dices itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, have you ever read a book of um? You've both familiar with Margaret Atwood. She wrote yeah. The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. whatever. She wrote one called, was it Oryx and Craig, I think. Yeah. And, and there's, she's got a couple of like fantastic kind of imaginative food inventions. One is the pigoon, which <laughs> I told my mum about when she absolutely loved. She, talk, she still talks about it now. It amuses her so much. Pigs kind of being used to grow extra organs for human harvest. You know, if you happen to need an extra kidney. Sorry, there's a, there's a pigoon in a specially constructed, you know, kind of environment. <laughs> And the other thing was the chicken they were eating was um, it was a many-breasted beast. Oh yeah. God! It, yeah. it was basically a kind of like a pulp of a tiny like head bird, bird head on a stick, and then like some awful kind of witch, just many breasts <laughs> hanging down, waiting to be taken. And it was the point was she conjured these sickening images up of what what could go happen in a kind of a genetically modified world gone mad that actually that makes me think of a, a kind of a question i was gonna i was gonna ask which is about it, one of the the kind of uh, solutions presented to a food security um 
problem, especially for crops mm. and, and reliability mm. of crops, is genetically modified yeah. food. Mm. And so I don't know if you can hear in the background, but my cat is meowing yeah. in a really <laughs> annoying manner. But he doesn't like agreement. genetically modified food. He no. really doesn't. He really doesn't. <laughs> but you see, like that in what on one hand with genetic I've heard some kind of some people are real advocates for and saying, why are we not genetically modifying crops? Because you know, it we could be we could be securing higher yield, we could be securing disease resistance, you know, yeah. against certain things that are blighting crops. Oh gosh, we might have to start talking about politics now. Yeah. <laughs> Hurrah! Yeah, but on the other hand, right? Yeah, shall I say this? Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Oh, 1985, sometime in the 80s, I heard um, Vandana Shiva speak about genetically modified food, and it was really, really interesting because she had um, been in India and um, had seen the effects of the introduction of genetically modified food into villages where traditionally um, people kept their own little gardens and all around the edges of all around the edges of the main crop fields even they would have you know many many varieties of plants which mm. they've used for centuries and ate and I mean there were literally hundreds of these kinds of plants well um, the main crop was replaced by GM foods and this um, stopped all the other little you know mutated basically in and the other little hedgerow plants were not available um and but then the other thing that happened was that gm foods cost a lot of money to um develop and market and the companies that develop and market them want to get their money back so they produce them under license so the you know people have to then pay to gather seed um, sorry they have to pay for the seed they can't any longer as they have been used to do we just you know, kind of harvest seed yeah, and harvest and seed and get their next year's crop from it and this is this is you know and this is still going on it, you know it was identified all those years ago and i think yeah. that is the political dimension to gm foods yeah sure that there may be some you know there may be solutions where um gm modification could could help in sort of in um, improving food security, but it's so tied up with biopolitics. Right. It's that actually, it's it's a mechanism of oppressing the poor. And these things tend not to be de- developed in sort of publicly funded places, do they? Available for everyone. It's it's always like these huge endeavours. On the other yeah, hand, yeah, all the, co- the costs is, is, is the big the companies that they can afford yeah. to put the, the best brands they can in, employ um, on it. I can't remember the state in India, but there's a, there's a huge rash of farmer suicide, and it's and it is to do with the with the GM foods, and it is to do with the fact that they're they are persuaded, and by, you know, to invest in the the seed, yeah, and actually it doesn't grow that well, you know, it doesn't produce those yields. It, it requires expensive petroleum-based fertilizers oh, oh that is the thing about requiring fertilizers now if i was going to play devil's advocate i'd say but if there is a disease or a parasite that routinely blights crops and you are able to modify crops the staple mm-hmm. crop i'd say which is a great rice is a great example because it's it's a staple food stuff of you know and there were there were there were rice riots mm-hmm. in is it 2008 because because um prices rose beyond what people could afford and it because it's like you know it's like bread um it it kind of it caused riots 
if there is a crop that that is at risk of failing is it is it missing a trick to kind of produce something which doesn't fail but is, is, isn't the you... point is who is going to do that though is this going to yeah. be some kind of government team who's doing it for the benefit of the people they're doing it for or is it is it another pharmaceutical company by by another face you know are they going to start obviously the cost like you said has to be passed on through the consumers nobody makes a, a penicillin or an aids tablet you know or any 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 of the medications for these kind of these horrible infections and diseases without spending a lot of money first on creating the first 10 mm, on, on everything else is cheap yeah. but all, everything that goes before it is expensive and they're not going to do it without without massive profits mm. and there's another way of looking at it as well which is that why create the conditions that produce um pests that can wipe out an entire country's yeah. food security so you know cast your mind back to the Irish potato. I was famine. just gonna say wow. that. I was gonna say. Yeah. I was just gonna say. I mean, you know, what about the potatoes? I know. I love it of casual racism over yeah. dinner. I know. I'm sorry, Mia. <laughs> no, I've done it before, no. and every time you just go. <laughs> the, oh. the, the, the best thing is, I mean, I don't consider myself Irish, and my grandparents, who you know, Mulderhounies and Steels and flanagans don't either but i remember i was just to go completely off topic um i had an irish friend visiting from dublin and and, and if it's great you brought this up because i can just rant now and um um i had i spent a good evening apologizing because when uh, a guy i knew from i knew from london was just screaming screaming potatoes every time poor brian walked past and i mean if this was a public place the guy in question had been drinking a lot but i was like every three minutes just screaming it indiscriminately in his direction. And at first, Brian was kind of like grinning back, going, ha-ha, very funny, mate, whatever. And then, after a while, his, his smile became rather fixed. Did you you, know? I mean, did your friend have a kind of death wish? He did, he did. He, he was also saying I'm rude English. things to I'm girls. I'm going to refer to, you know, some kind of famine, which, you know, yeah. wiped out a whole load of you. And, and then there's kind of this really, you know, positive <laughs> feeling about, uh, you know, uh, the British involvement <laughs> yeah. in that. Mm. But, but I did, I mean, at the time, I didn't have too big a go because it did make me laugh. And also, I was quite glad that he was taking a bit of stick because two weeks previous to that I'd been visiting my friend the same guy in Dublin and it was over dinner with his parents um, that his mother brought up the Irish potato famine <laughs> <laughs> I was Ooh, kind of I was at a bit of a loss you know I mean that there was a conspicuous absence of potato on the menu as well that night maybe, maybe she was making a point but um, we're not I, having yeah, potato as I was uh, as I was tucking into my into the typical I Irish dish of lasagna um, <laughs> I, it was brought up in conversation all I could do is kind of stare wild eyed at the, picture, at the picture of Jesus Christ and the passionate heart on the wall and think what what do I do what do I do and I, I, all I could say was well I'm only 26 so it's probably not got a lot to do with me <laughs> <laughs> lovely lasagna thank you so much <laughs> it was nightmarish so then eventually when my phone was abused soundly for a good two hours um i was, I was quite i was quite quietly glad and this could all yeah. have been avoided if it hadn't had a monoculture <laughs> <laughs> right this is what i needed to know then harriet i need to be able to throw a monoculture back in her face yeah, I'm sorry, it's just your own fault, monoculture. Yeah. Well, how did that kind of come about, though? Well, the thing, actually, I don't know. Yeah. How, I yeah. don't know. Do you yeah. know how the Irish <laughs> came to be existing only on potatoes? I, I bet don't. Someone, I bet not some more would... varied diet. I expect it had something to do with the British. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably had to do with the British and the way it, that it things were farmed and yeah. because people, the were... people had their land taken. Yeah, and, and people and high yield. But anyway, yeah. there they were. 
Mm. The only thing that mm-hmm. was available was potatoes. The blight came. That was it. All food was gone. But if you if you sort of encourage biodiversity, then it doesn't all get wiped out in one go. Mm. So your potatoes fail, but your something else is doing all right. So, I mean, you know, our obsession with wheat and, and, and the obsession with rice... Is it, does that mean kind of you need to kind of just be a little bit available to some other grain if yeah. you're in a culture where that the is more the more diversity mo- you've got, the mm. more resilient you are, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? Well, no, but I mean, why, why, is it, why is it that one would kind of, in a kind of culturally, have a rice I mean- or a wheat? <laughs> The great thing is now, obviously, we're also exposed to so much, so much else that, that yeah. you can choose to have. I mean, I don't have a staple anymore. I love bread, but it's because I love it that I eat a lot of it and I'm a bit addicted to it. It's, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have to form the, the biggest part of my diet unless, you know, I chose. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's, it's not, it's not yeah. like the, whereas for some people, rice but is then, the staple part. I mean, when I'm buying rice and I'm buying my pasta, these are things that, are imported am i not just adding to a problem i was gonna say because mm-hmm. like yeah the what when the uh the uk government did a survey or a kind of assessment yeah. of the the fit for purposeness of the uk mm. in relation to food security and how prepared mm. we are and um they, it's, it's great because it's it's quite the way they've set it out is quite simple to understand they've got these little green red and and and, and amber boxes <laughs> against various points <laughs> and uh, yeah because i did i did it said you know on the defra site it was like download this survey and uh, download this report and i was thinking oh god a defra report i really want to read that that's going to be so interesting but fortunately it was a report sum- summary and it's all in one page if you google mm. food security it's kind of the fourth or fifth hit on there but one of the things that they talked about in the report was um about uh apparently 65 percent of our food is imported mm. yeah. uh, but that's apparently globally comparatively quite good mm. right okay you know and i mean well, i mean it is all hugely complicated by the by the peak oil thing because the way it'll pan out is it's not that suddenly one day there won't be any oil what will happen is over a period of time it'll get more expensive so you know it's kind of quite a good idea to think about that situation am i am i going to be a winner or a loser in that situation um and if you think about how it is with winners and losers who are the winners and losers in in any kind of politico social situation and they're always you know it's always the same people Mm. The winners are the rich and the well-resourced mm. and the losers are um, the less well-resourced women, children, the elderly mm. and the poor. Um, and of course, as we sort of move further into oil depletion, more of us will become poor in relation to oil energy. So it begins to affect more people. Mm. Yes, it yes. begins, yeah, more people find themselves in a tricky situation. And as a recent survey proved, the well-being of, of, the, of, of, of the, the less well-off in the society is actually, it does matter to those who, who, you know, who are well-off because yeah. it means that we all benefit if the less well-off are kind of, uh, are resourced yeah. in some way as well mm. as uh, the, the well-off. You can't I mean, just I ignore... I think you sort of got to 
think that there is a possibility that I will be one of the less well-resourced. It's not possible. Point. It's not possible. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, relatively less resourced. I mean, I know if if I today own more than three thousand pounds worth of assets, and that includes the clothes that I wear, the house that I live in, right. the books that I read. If I own more than three thousand pounds worth of stuff. That puts me in the top 50% of the world's population in yeah. terms of affluence. No there's actually a website where you can type in your salary and it goes, congratulations, you're the 18th, you're 18,000th richest person on the planet. And you think, yeah. what? <laughs> Shut up. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's loads of millionaires in them, but obviously it's um, relative. relative. Yeah. There are so yeah. many poor people that yeah. you are well at the scale, yeah. Yeah, because there's so many but people even on this for planet. us. You know, there's a change is coming and we don't know what that'll be. Like like I say, it all could work out great, but it's kind of it seems like a good idea to take some steps to increase my chances of being a winner. Does this mean event? Does this mean that mean? Does this mean that I'm gonna have to become like one of yes. those paranoid right wingers and have a bunker with where and, yes. and you know, like some kind of air raid shelter and well, stockpile well, in case of the zombie <laughs> in case of no, the zombie but, apocalypse. But yeah. there are two choices. <laughs> to be a winner, I well you can either be a real winner, like but just become Murdoch and have the most money on the planet yeah, at your disposal. You can either be rich. Yeah. You can be mega rich. And you don't really need to yeah. worry about the rich. No. And you don't really need to worry about governments because, you know, that yeah, yeah. that sort of they'll put their resources in yeah of course yeah. or you can just be you know become a raging hippie and yeah, devote um, all, all your free time to kind of adding soil to your neighbour's window boxes <laughs> and, 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 and slyly putting seeds in when they're out and, and then having to like yank the tops of the carrots out when they're not looking and everything yeah because does this, does this mean stockpiling food or does this mean creating a little bit of independence yeah. in terms of access to food resources and, and becoming and independent even if it's a five percent fashion are even we all if it's just getting, are we a just year, if you're really intake if you make it yourself oh we all just become going to become oh, the good that? life and how what about access to land and and the use of land <laughs> i've got so many questions yeah. so many questions please please soothe us soothe us harriet stroke me stroke me i'm feeling terribly kind of shaky yeah. i think the thing that would be most well. <laughs> the thing that would just most disturb me is that to have an air raid bunker i've never yeah. been a person who wants gloria an air raid how much are you regretting inviting your mum down for this one oh, <laughs> put the fear in me it really has <laughs> well how's it go um i think in times of scarcity what happens People run down their resources, don't they? You know, they they just kind of work through their resources. Yeah. So before you get to the, you know, last jar of jam in your cupboard, it might be quite a good idea to get together with some other people nearby you and sort of say, well, what can we do about this? And that's, and you've probably come across the transition town movement. Yeah. And basically that's what that's saying is, you know, how can we... Um, how can we sort of take steps now which will mitigate the effect the, the effects of of um peak oil etc and and actually have a good time as well because when it comes to things like food security you are better off working with other people in fact so we and don't need to get hold of the back to the hole, I mean, the marauding zombies. No, you, you don't the, really need the to the Indian community that was destroyed that's exactly what was destroyed that the community kind of bond and they're working together with, with mm. other families to make sure that even if your patch was blighted somebody would feed you mm. and vice versa that there's no borrowed parcel food in the sand anymore is there everything is and what kind of stuns me but also depresses me is the thought that 
we, so many of us have spent so long developing ourselves personally and becoming individuals yeah. and, 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 and oh so talented at so many different things that we don't have to give a second thought to how we feed ourselves. And the yeah, thought... Yeah, we have the luxury. We have the luxury. It is, and it is that. a total luxury to be able to buy food without having to put any of the work in necessary because that means you get to go and spend your energy. If you want to teach, you get to go be a teacher and not have to come home and put your gloves on and start digging about in the garden, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's it's not nice. And plus, this is Yorkshire. It's, it's you know, it's Baltic out here. It's so cold. I can't imagine going out unless I absolutely had to on certain days. And also well, you have to grow some, rhubarb. Let me, give you, yeah. let me give you some positive examples. Right? Go on. Mm. There's a lovely scheme in Leeds called Urban Harvest where um, if you've got a fruit tree in your garden or you know of a fruit tree in some public area that where the fruit isn't being harvested you kind of let urban harvest know and um, they'll organize pickers and then that food is made available communally wow. yeah because a lot of people have got quite yeah, big yeah, gardens no, they have, that yeah. they don't, don't know what to do with mm. um, there's there are various land share schemes both sort of locally set up and a national one where you can make available your bit of land in your garden for anyone who wants to grow, you know, having a lot yeah. more stuff. Um, there's the huge burgeoning allotment movement. Oh, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've, done we've ranted about yeah. it. Well, okay. mostly about people kind of having yeah. allotments as a kind of lifestyle, lifestyle accessory. Yes. And also, I think we're a bit cross because... We weren't on the list when they were. <laughs> now they've got allotments, and, and there's a ten-year waiting list, and we'll we'll be we'll be doddery by the time we see one. Yeah, but where there is where there is a demand for allotments, you have the right to ask your council to provide them. So, allotments is another nice positive. Hi, does that mean that they would turn otherwise unused land that could potentially become sold for commercial use into plots of growing land? Allotments? My personal opinion is is that is coming. Wow. That, that will become you know, so, that, so if enough people put enough pressure on their local authority that that could be the next step mm, like, i think i believe that yeah, has, they, they that have has to happened. consider it they have to consider yeah. it mm. it's yeah. a it's, it's on the books it's a law it's That's amazing it's mm. a law. what else i had another example and i can't remember now what it was but it was another nice positive example my fruit More trees of these, the yeah. zombie hordes <laughs> Yeah, and the, the thing is, we are very different because in Gloria's head, it, it, it's, it's become a crazy world full of action. In mine, it's just this bleak, desolate, <laughs> oh God, you know, you know what like, you know what screaming landscape. Well, you see, this is the this is a result oh, of if be, oh, go on, go on. Okay, um, community supported agriculture. You may not know, but near here there are at least three really well set up um, community supported agriculture schemes that I can think of, and the way these work is. Um, some people join together and put in a bit of money, which gives a capital, working capital for um, land to be uh, either leased or bought mm. and used to grow food. And in return for your investment that you made at the beginning of the year, you get um, veg boxes through the year. What? That's so awesome. Oh, what's it called again? Community Supported Agriculture, wow. CSA. I want some And that. there's one, there's one near Leeds called Swillington Farm and they've actually extended it to um, having sheep as well. So you can sort of buy a, you can buy a share in a sheep and um, <laughs> get bits of it when when it becomes mature. Are there web available? Can you find this on the web? You to can find, find it on yeah. the web. CSA, Community Supported, Supported. Agriculture. Awesome. It's almost certain to be one near you. Yeah, that's so good. Because people are setting them up all the time. What's great is that, especially in a place like Leeds where, you know, the kind of, the only 
vaguely original architecture is the back-to-back where people are crammed into a tiny, tiny space. They don't have access to outdoor spaces necessarily. I mean, mm. and, and, and it isn't just poor families. You're talking lots of kind of... These these places become popular mm. because... Houses of multiple occupancy. They tend to have high ceilings even mm. though they're narrow. Mm. And um, and so you've got lots of people who've got money to money to spend on, on a nice lifestyle. And it, it's ideal for people like that. You know, if, if, if you can afford to invest in something like this, it would be brilliant, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You have kind of to a ide- ideologically put yeah put forward that way that's 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 awesome you see because my thing is growing up as a child in the 80s there was a whole lot of dystopian novels written because there was going to be a nuclear war yeah of course in the 80s this is what what happened so everyone (laughs) wrote books about us all living in bubbles growing crops in bubbles (laughs) and every time we talk about food security i kind of just back there in the bubble i'm back there in the goddamn bubble and the barren (laughs) waste land outside <laughs> no it really doesn't have to be that way yeah. oh god oh god that, that's really positive because i was wondering she looks awfully smiley say she's delivering these awful bombshells <laughs> yeah. but, um, but but that's because uh, there are solutions and, and I, I suppose yeah no, also you're growing your own um yeah. <laughs> you're on gone right no but also i suppose if, if you've got access to the bad information then you must be aware of what's going on in a positive way and how to access it Yes. Yes. Th- th- there are yeah. things that what yeah. you can do. Yeah, there are a lot mm. of things you can engage with right now. I mean, it doesn't alter the fact that there are serious problems, and we yes. don't. But we don't know all the variables, and we don't know what all the outcomes are. But we do it anyway. That's why I, I think because yeah. that's the, yeah, that's the encouraging thing because it's a massive global issue with some very kind of co- which ties in a lot of kind of complicated other issues about kind of uh fossil fuels about about kind of monoculture about methods of production of food about how we consume food all of these massive things and you can kind of feel a bit like oh my god it's such Mm. a big issue i can't possibly get hold of it but there are very simple things that you can do in your own yeah on your own steam and kind of Mm. at various levels as well exactly and and i think i think there's a lot of people who who are very who want to be fashionably eco but not wearing hemp shirts you know mm. they want to not go the whole nine yards they want to do to take smaller steps to do it to become a little more self-sufficient or a little more kind of supportive of, of, of smaller businesses people who are willing to, to make the effort on your behalf yeah do exactly the digging and there, there are ways and ways to engage yeah. it doesn't have to be you have to move to the country and suddenly start living the good life and you know yeah. totally I mean, become I self-sufficient you know. I'm 50. I don't want to start digging large vegetable plots, but I'd be quite happy to get together with younger people who would like to dig <laughs> and yeah, dig, dig and, and delegate and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and make the contributions that I yeah. can make. Well, yeah. no, I mean, obviously, I, well, I suppose if, if you're educated in a certain arena, that is your contribution, isn't it? Information. Yeah. Yeah, enabling people to, 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 to do but, something. I mean, there are a lot of activities that are, are required for low-carbon lifestyles. Yeah. So mm. let's just recap this. Right, where you can, mm. if you want to make that small, take some small actions. Because actually, I think, yeah, this is one of the beauties of this issue, which is it's a big global issue and people can kind of feel doom. Like yeah. with the climate change, like, so I know some people who just go, you know what, we're screwed, doom. But I think with food security, you can say, well, you know what? I can take these small actions and it's okay. So there's transition towns, mm-hmm. which is, if you look that up, that's kind of a really interesting movement that covers a lot of things, not just food security. 
Yeah, and there's zillions of transition towns. Yeah. Chances are, where you are, there's a transition town movement and you can set one up yeah. as and well. Is, is there, lots uh, of help available. Is it kind of outside the UK or is it just Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, gone, it's gone completely global. Oh, oh, dozens, dozens oh, of nice. Again, towns. that's kind of like rebuilding those community networks, isn't it? Get yeah. involved with people again mm. instead of just being isolated. Mm. And then there's, uh, so there's CSA, which is the... Community supported agriculture schemes. Right. And what about the fruit tree people? See, fruit oh, trees is such a theme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's called Urban Harvest here. And, but it may, you know, there may be other similar schemes elsewhere yeah. which do exactly the same thing. Or again, they're not hard to set up, actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you've I got a bit of a community base and stuff. No, I mean, that's absolutely, I mentioned it's quite, I didn't know the names of these things, but I knew when I'd been on Gumtree, there were people um, asking, there were adverts mm. for wanted garden space people willing to go around and get dirty and kind of do what oh, yeah, necessary. that one's called Landshare. Yeah. Land Channel Share, 4 set up just, a scheme called Landshare. Just, oh. just kind of advertising mm. randomly. And mm. I mean, I, I only thought of only last last time we, we did a podcast because yeah. I know a guy who's got a huge garden <laughs> and he was, he was grumbling and saying, well, I only really tend one corner right now. I, I grow beautiful roses, but the rest of it is going a bit wild. And I mentioned it to him, but he wasn't too keen. He's, 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 he's getting on a bit. I think he's a bit paranoid about what kind of person might turn up, but... Yeah, you have to give it a try. Don't yeah, you, it just takes a bit of um, and there's also, I suppose, as your organisation, can you find out about like through the permaculture organisation, which is something that you're involved in? Yes, yes, yeah. which is the permaculture association is there to tell people about permaculture, and which is yeah, an ecological course, design system. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say some people cool. listening were going, "What the hell is permaculture?" <laughs> which is what I did for the first few months. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> nodding. Was Sounds fascinating, there. Mum. Oh yeah, really glad. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically, yeah. you know, what we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's about yeah. not having monocultures. Designing sustainable environments at whatever scale you like, from your balcony garden to your, you know, huge farm. Mm, yeah. With That's many really points cool. in between. And, they're, really and they do global stuff, not just UK stuff as well. Yeah. Like San Thingy, Salvador. El Salvador, yeah. yeah. Oh, and um, permaculture is on the school curriculum in Malawi. <gasps> really? Wow. Yeah. And I must say that you, you know, it is quite often pictures from those international locations where, where you really see the difference that alternative growing methods make. Because you know, to see someone standing there and beaming with a big tomato in their hand, you know, for us a tomato, hey, we can get a tomato anywhere. Um, you know, for communities like that, that isn't a really important thing. Cool. You know, that's the difference between a bit of a grim survival and um and having a great you know having a, a really enjoyable life mm. and having the pleasure having the pleasure of food as well as the kind yeah. of survival mm. food. i mean it does make you think that at some point economics in a way that it will cover sort of global and agricultural mm. economics must must begin to feature in school curriculum must yeah. otherwise how are people going to be educated enough to make so? the decisions that they need to make as they're getting older yeah. i should have known this 10 years ago and i didn't yeah, and mm. and it's it, it has to be something we start talking about in in a, in a very general way and get get kids whilst they're still young enough to grasp it and accept it without the resistance that we have because it means disrupting our lifestyle <laughs> and stop eating out of you know yeah, so styrene. You, yeah, so if you grow up with it, it's not as yeah. threatening. And I think it's just normal. I think actually that you, that you do find that you, like kids, you know, younger younger people are quite invested in that because they do do projects mm. at school and do things like that and they'll yeah. be the people saying no you've got to recycle that and you've got to Go so on. all you have to do is just introduce a bit more of you can grow this and you can grow that um yeah, and, and you I can also, eat less yeah i also think that you know um 
that thing about getting a bit of a global awareness that it's a two-way traffic definitely and one of the things that we can get from developing countries or countries who are less well resourced is um it's just a willingness to innovate and a determination to get stuck in um because when you know when the stakes are as high as they are for a community that's on the breadline kind of thing um they don't sit around waiting for a health and safety report. No, no or you for know, someone to do it for or them. Or, or someone, someone said, to... I couldn't. Screw yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. No, they just do it. Yeah. And you know, bring all their inventiveness and, and sort of creativity and stuff to bear and get results. Mm. Yes, no, it's a very good point. Well, I think that feels like a great, good point to see. We've yeah. kind of gone through the mill. We went down <laughs> and then we've kind of come back up. There are, I, there are things still, we can do. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very kind of starey-eyed. <laughs> You know, your eyes go really wide and you've had kind of puzzlingly bad news and you can't let it go. But it's all right. It's all right. There's things we can do. Oh, there's loads. There's I would be really twitching, like do. plucking fretfully at my quilt as I, lay, as I stay at the ceiling tonight, unable to sleep. Oh. But, but yeah, just remember there's things that we can do and that is the, 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 the joy of it. have a lot of fun yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite it's quite nice going your own things. Even though you know my peas were okay, my, I, can't, I don't think my carrots. <laughs> my peas, amazing. I, I grew some I mean, peas. obviously, I've got two plans of action: become as active as you dare in terms of recruiting the space and getting people involved, and just encourage anybody who will buy it to get into um, breatharianism or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's our it's civic yeah. duty. <laughs> let's let's get let's get the demand dropping. Really, really, kind of advertise it. I think I think we should encourage as many people as possible to get into it. <laughs> only only inform the people you really like that it might not be the best thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, I've been Gloria Lind, and uh, I've been shocked of Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say I've been. You Harriet have to say Walsh. it. I've Walsh been Harriet Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been Harriet Walsh. <laughs> yes, but today, today on this show, <laughs> on this show, you've been Harriet. Walsh. Who else would I be? Oh, it's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Harriet Walsh. Yay! Thank you. And uh, this is Crimes Against Food Apocalypse Now. Um, <laughs> if you like this show, you may want to get uplifted and listen to some other shows on the network. Um, you can listen through www.simplysyndicated.com um, through iTunes. If you check out the website and go to shows, there's loads of other stuff on there. Uh, a show about drugs called Hooked which is a great informative show show movies you should see books you should read games you should play definitive words in which is kind of pretty much like this you sit around and chat except not about food because only no. we talk about food yeah. no they do talk about food sometimes how dare they how dare they mm. back off back off <laughs> this is art. this is my arena bitch <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's some forum there's forums on there there's kind of loads of stuff on that site so I recommend you go oh. there um, and you know always send us your comments um, and if you want more info then you know kind of sends a message on the site and we'll kind of see if we can uh, uh, ask my mother again yeah <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, I've got to ask for your mum. <laughs> Give me a minute, I'll get back to you. Mum. Ma? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Read any good books lately? If you've read something that you think is worth telling others about, then why not make your own episode of Books You Should Read? All you need to do is record a review of your book, making sure it's at least five minutes long, and email it to booksyoushouldread at simplysyndicated.com. If there's a book you'd like to review but you can't record a show, 
then why not write a review and have it published on Simply Read? Being part of Simply Syndicated is as easy as that. We can't wait to see what you come up with.